Okay, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm Nicole Gordon. I'm a certified gentle sleep coach and I own a practice called Little Live Wires um, because I focus on those kiddos that are just a little more alert and intense and sensitive and never want to sleep ever, ever. Um, I also am a senior lecturer at Antioch University. I um, teach research methods in the graduate counseling psychology program there. Um, how did I come to this work? Well, I lived it. I lived it. Um, uh, and the reason that I'm doing this work is because uh, my kids are now young adults. So they're in their um, early 20s. And back in the day, so this would have been like mid 90s ish, uh, you know, both of them big shocker are live wires. They're both intense, sensitive little ones. Uh, well, now big ones, but um, they were little ones. And uh, we were, you know, I was really committed to like doing the whole attachment parenting thing, right? We we're going to follow their cues. We were going to do a very compassionate, empathic approach um, that Dr. Sears kind of said <laughs> would lead to good sleep. And that was not happening. Um, I, it was bad. I was really, really suffering, but at the time there, there was nothing else besides crying it out. Right. So there was, I say there's cried out or gutted it out. Um, I knew my children, well, a, I would never have done it because it's just not, that's just not my thing. Um, but B, I think, uh, both of them would have cried for hours and they never would have given in ever, ever. So it was a non-starter for me completely on so many levels. Um, but then the only alternative was, oh, it's just co-sleep or, oh, just nurse on demand. And that wasn't working either, but, but that's what we did for a, until we didn't. But it, like I said, I can't, for them, it, it wasn't the solution for everything. So I felt like we needed some kind of a middle ground and at the t back then it didn't exist. Now it does. Hallelujah. Yes, it does exist. And we can totally talk about what all that means, but that's, I'm trying to help parents not suffer the way that I did. Yes. I think in our first phone call, I felt a kinship with you because I also identify as a highly sensitive person. I have a child that is now a young adult who was highly sensitive similar background, starting out with Dr. Sears baby book and the attachment parenting. And honestly, you know, I know I was doing the best that I could. I'm not sure that I would have done anything differently right. other than seek out someone like you who would reassure me that it's just hard and you have to trust your heart yeah. and take the cues from your baby. And I'm sure you're going to share some tips and some yeah. research of yeah. the things that you've you know, discovered along the way. Yeah, I, I certainly can. But I think that the key in what you said and what I was also experiencing is that there's sort of, I don't want to say there's just two types of kids because there's billions, but there's a certain, you know, kind of wiring that I think really predicts a hundred percent whether your kid's going to be a good sleep, an easy sleeper, I should say, or not. Um, and that wiring has, is temperament. And I do think that um, there are lots of parents with good, easy sleepers who think it's because of something they did that their kid is a good, easy sleeper. And I, I'm almost willing to bet 
hard cash um, that those parents could have done pretty much anything and those kids would have been good sleepers. And conversely, you and I could have tried a million things and none of them would have worked because they, it doesn't, it just doesn't jive with who our kids, how they're wired and who they are. Mm -hmm. So I really think the more I do this work, that that temperament is the dividing line between kids who sleep and kids who don't. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I think, you know, there's the scientist in you (laughs) and the researcher in you, you can parse piece apart the difference between causation and correlation. And so can you speak a little bit about what you mean when you say temperament? Yeah, sure. So temperament is, um, I mean, the easy way to describe, it's one of those things that we all think we know, but then you try to describe it and you're like, well, it's, 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 well, you know, it's just that thing. (laughs) Um, So I always say temperament is a hardwired system for, for taking in and processing and reacting to external and internal events. So there's some really great researchers um, who talk about orchids and dandelions. And um, dandelion kids, like, like the flower, can do really pr- very well in a wide variety of contexts. Wherever they are, they can figure out how to do really well. Orchids, if you've ever tried to grow one, you know, um, need a very specific little narrow niche of the right light and the right water and the right humidity and the, just the right temperature and at just the right time. And, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, if they get that, they do amazingly well, but it's also really easy to knock them over, right? It's really easy for them not to do well. So it's sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly about temperament is that kiddos that sleep well and are kind of easy going, they're going to be okay you know, even under adversity, they tend to do okay. Um, orchid kids or live wires, like I call them, um, it's much more, e- it's much uh, easier to really throw them off. Um, at the same time, if they get what they need, they do even better. They do even, they flourish kind of even more. Um, so it's, it's, and I try to hold both, right? It's like this mixed bag of like, oh, they're so incredible. And oh my God, this is so much work (laughs) and it's so hard. Um, And that's the thing is almost every parenting book is written about dandelion kids because that's most kids. It's not written for for orchid kids or live wires. And so parents are using these books and they're saying, what am I doing wrong? And I always like to tell parents, it is not you, it's temperament. Right. So the, yeah. Go ahead. And if you happen to be an orchid parent, you may be getting a double whammy because you're like, my nervous system is getting triggered by my experience with my orchid child. And you may not even know that you're an orchid parent. Oh no. Oh, a thousand percent. I remember the one day where I was like, why are my kids so intense? And then I was like, oh my God, I think I'm intense. Like I really had no idea. And I realized that um, a lot of my intensity had sort of been socialized out of me. So I was not at all in touch with my own intensity, with my own sensory sensitivities that I'm literally just learning about now. I really am. I had no idea until I've started really doing this work. Um, The other challenge is if you have a child that's differently sensitive. 
So I like to talk about highly sensitive kids or highly sensitive people as innies. So they tend to take their intensity and go inward, right? They either they retreat or they like to go more really slowly or they, or they turn introspective. Then there's these other kids that are, I call them outies that explode out. Their intensity goes out and they're um, extroverted and really kind of dynamos. They really go outward toward the world. And if you are, if you're one and you have the other, that can also be kind of, um, you know, difficult because they, you guys need different things. Both, both types need different things in order to regulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love the way you're framing that dandelions and orchids, because it's really like respectful. No one goes into a flower shop and says, you know, criticizes orchids. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a reverence <laughs> for them because they have their unique, you know, uniqueness about them and they're beautiful. And yeah. I mean, who's not attracted to beauty, but it's, yeah. it's like, there is some special care intending that needs to happen. And each yeah. one is different. The color, yeah. the way they yeah. you know, bloom. Yeah. I, they probably need a different word for dandelions because I'm sure people are like, oh, so my kid's a weed. Great. You know, they need, <laughs> enough, they need like Daisy or something that's better. I, I have heard recently that there's a middle ground type called tulips. And I don't know a lot about it, but they're kind of extending the, the flower metaphor because you do have to kind of care and tend a plant. We do need a different flower besides dandelions because that just, that's like people will think of it as a weed, right? Get the weed. Yeah. I'll come up with something. I'll come up. Maybe daisies is better. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, it's true. They're, it's just different. But I think we were talking about kind of parents' experiences with all of this stuff. And I think um, that one thing I love to do is tell parents, this isn't you. Your inability or your problem with sleep has very little to do with what you have or haven't tried. It is not you. It's just that it doesn't work for this particular child. Um, and that's a real problem with the advice that's out there and all the books and the websites is they, especially around sleep, I don't quite get it, but especially around sleep, it's like, if it's not going well, parent, it's your fault. You have done it wrong. And I think that as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the biggest disservices we're doing to parents right now, because that information hits them at a very young age. Usually they're barely getting their feet under them as a parent. Um, the advice is now saying to start sleep training practically from birth. Um, and we kind of set parents up to already start sort of tripping, you know, they're, they're already like, I don't know what I'm doing, um, which is the opposite of what we really want. We really want parents tuning into their instincts, but also just trusting themselves. It's more than instinct. I think, I think it's like, um, I tell parents, you get to experiment find out who your kid is, find out who you are. You can't make big mistakes right now, you know? <laughs> and then I joke with them and say, the parenting road is long, pace yourself because sleep is not the last thing you will struggle with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It is one of the challenging ones though, because it's hard to function when you're not feeling rested. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you've found, because you specialize in sleep, I wonder mm -hmm. if you found other patterns that parents that are noticing that sleep is even trickier than they anticipated, if there are other things that they notice throughout the day. 
uh, well, like what, like just the, you mean the kid's behavior or? Yeah. Or like sensitivity to light or to sound or to oh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering what does it look like if you have a live wire? Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, people, people, I, I'm not kidding. I have come up with like a list of things that consistently parents will say. Um, uh, and not everybody says all of them, but, uh, but one is, oh, her eyes were wide open at birth, like at birth, boom, awake on, uh, she, even at very, very young ages, like brand newborn, they'll say, it's like, she, she just doesn't want to sleep. It's like, she's got FOMO. They'll say FOMO. And I'm like, ding, live wire means, means the, this child just does not want to disengage from the waking world alert, engaged, right? Uh, uh, or they'll say, oh, uh, oh, we really know what she wants or he wants. Oh, oh, it's very clear like that, that what they want is loud and proud, right? They just- Strong preference. Strong preferences. Um, these babies often need to, these are the bouncers. They, they don't like rocking. They need to be bounced on a ball, which is all, almost always, an I mean, that's almost, the only thing they need to say. If they say, oh yeah, we bounce on a ball. I'm like, okay, <laughs> live wire. Um, uh, oh, um, when they start getting a little bit older, they're not interested in toys. A, a mom will say, it's like, it's like he's a, a Velcro baby. He's got to be with me, right? Always on me, with me. Um, and I always say, hey, I know that's exhausting, but think of what he's getting from you. That same with all of these kids, they actually ask their parents to level up and parents do it's exhausting, but these kids really get like, they get more out of their parents because they sort of demand it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they sort of require it. Um, but there's a lot of things that parents, they don't often connect the dots and all you have to do is, is connect those dots for them. And, and you can see it on their face they cut this aha moment that they kind of already knew because most of these people have friends with babies and they already know their kid isn't like other babies. Um, I speak at peps groups um, in Seattle and uh, usually there's, you know, two to four month old babies. And most of them, I'd say 90% of them, the babies are all lying on the blanket in the center and mom, the moms are all chatting with each other and the babies are just lying on their back, having a great time. And there's almost always one exhausted looking mom in the back with the baby on her shoulder, a fussy baby on her shoulder, bouncing up and down outside the circle. And I know she feels like a freak, right? Because she's like, why can't my baby do what the other ones are doing? Temperament. It's temperament, mm. right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. taking me down memory lane. <laughs> and, and I wish that I knew someone like you when my kids were little, because there would be shared reality. I yeah. would feel, you know, seen and heard. I mean, yeah. like, you yeah. know, like, I'm sure you yeah. have radar, <laughs> yeah. what you were describing. I do. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell. And I almost hesitate to say, no, wait, let me tell you about your kid. Cause I almost can, you know? here are your challenges. Here's what, and, and they are, kids are different. So you'll get kids with a lot of one thing and only a little of the other, but, but some of this stuff is uh, sensory sensitivity is in common. That's a hundred percent. I would say almost the 
bedrock of temperament is um, a lower sensory threshold and more sensitivity to different kinds of sensory inputs. And that, that goes across every kind of live wire, right? The highly sensitive, um, when we talk about, the, these are um, occupational therapy terms and I'm not an OT, but I, I know enough about it to, to discuss it. So um, highly sensitive kids are, sen are typically sensory defensive. That means they get easily overwhelmed by sensory input, too much light, too much sound, too much movement. Um, and they, and they kind of go inward or they can have some like meltdowns. Um, then there are kids who really uh, are sensory seeking and that means they need big input in order to calm down. So they crash into things or they, instead of hugging you, they end up, you know, banging into you or they, the bouncing, like the big movement. Um, and of course, all of these things impact sleep, right? Because I say these little guys are like princess and the pea. It just takes the tiniest little thing to be off and they can't sleep. They just don't power down ever. <laughs> they, <laughs> they power up, they get more wired. These little guys do anyway. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my work with parents um, is just staying ahead of, of their second wind. Because these are the kids that if you miss a nap, you're toast. If you, if you're late, you're toast. Or mm. if you're waiting for a yawn, forget it. You're done because they, they, they just don't, it's kind of like, they just don't have the, have the top. They're just like, I, I don't have use for naps. I don't want to do it. It's a waste of time. And so they, it's almost like they're going to refuse to show you that they're tired because that's just a sign of weakness or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with rebooting the sleep training, what, what advice are you giving your clients? Oh boy. Well, this is more like a soapbox issue. I think it's something I wish I could, or I'm trying to sort of broadcast to parents, which is um, the notion, especially in the first six months that you can somehow, well, A, that, that you have to sleep train early. Is a, is a complete myth. It really is. It's not founded in any science at all that exists. Um, and, and that you can wreck your kid by not doing the right thing with sleep. Also complete bonkers. Um, and so I think those two things ratchet up the pressure on parents in the first, say, six months that I have to get sleep handled or else I'm going to ruin my kid, right? It's too much pressure. So, you know, with clients, with people that I have sessions with, um, a lot of my work is telling people what they do not have to worry about, which is a, a real privilege for me. I love doing that to be, because also parents, I can see it on their face. They didn't want to start. They know it's too early to sleep train. They can tell, right? So, you know, the, the issue that I wish I could get to all parents is that it's really sleep develops. It's, it's based on brain development and the capacity for a child to self-regulate. And that is not present at birth. It takes time. There's a lot of brain development and um, nervous system development that's got to happen across that first, well, it doesn't stop at six months, but, but there's a lot that happens in the first six months. So when you're trying to, you know, encourage slash force a baby to self-regulate with, 
when they don't really have the skills to do that, um, it, it can really set people up for failure. And I think that that's not fair uh, because then they're, then they're parenting thinking, I really have no idea what I'm doing. And again, we don't really want that. I mean, I think that's a, I don't know. I think it's a real disservice to, to parents and to the parents' mental health as well. Absolutely. And they're juggling at the same time, monitoring like, you know, the diaper changing and the food intake or the breastfeeding or the bottle yeah. feeding. There's a lot of, you know, parts that they're managing. And so to relieve themselves of this heavy, heavy burden, thinking yeah. that they actually have control over when their child feels sleepy or if mm -hmm. they feel sleepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, uh, yeah. And then you, uh, it's a hundred percent true. And then you add to that, if you have this alert baby or a, a baby with silent reflux or a baby with a lot of other conditions, um, you're doing what the books say and it's not working at all. And then on top of all the, what you were just mentioning, all those logistics and becoming a parent, right? The whole process of becoming a parent. Um, you're feeling like you could be potentially harming your child because you're not doing the sleep thing isn't going right. And you're like, what's the matter with me? What am I doing wrong? Um, and I think it can lead to a lot, an awful lot of anxiety in parents. And, um, if not depression, then for sure, just like big dings to their confidence and self-efficacy and all that stuff we want parents to be able to have. Um, and with a live wire, it's tough to get some of that stuff. I do agree. It really is um, because these kids don't behave like the books say they're going to, right? So the book will say, oh, well, you're, you'll discover what your baby's cries mean because they will cry and then you'll do something and they'll stop crying and you'll know that you were good at that, what you just did. Live wires, um, not only do their, their cries don't always map to what they're feeling. Um, I just remember my daughter, it was like, no, she wasn't fussing. It was like, she was being stuck with a pin. Like it was, it was like all hands on deck. Do I need to call 911 kind of cry? Uh, and then nothing worked, right? You try everything and nothing works. And then you think, what, A, what did I sign up for? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> What's this going to be like? Um, and B, you're just like, I, I, don't, I definitely don't know what I'm doing or I don't know who this, you know, what she needs of me and I can't do it. I mean, that feeling of powerlessness too is, um, is really significant with these, with these parents. Mm. Yeah. What, what are you finding is reassuring to them with the research and with the coaching that you do? What's really mm -hmm. landing for them? Mm, a lot of stuff. Uh, so in, if we're talking about the first six months, really the idea is do what works, just do what works. If it works, do it. Like if holding, you know, rocking, wearing, if something works, just do the heck out of it because that's good for you. It takes the wear and tear off of you. Um, once we start getting into, well, and investigate all the physiological things that could be going on, there's a short list of physiological conditions that believe it or not, as a coach, I have caught that have not been caught by pediatricians or others. So, um, because a lot of times 
bless their hearts, but pediatricians are really fast to say, oh, you just need to sleep train. And they're not really listening to parents' concerns. They're really um, dismissing them. And I think that's a, you know, that's a problem. I think um, you may have mentioned one. You Did you say silent reflux? Yes. Yeah, silent reflux is, uh, reflux is when they spit up. Silent reflux is basically baby heartburn. And so when you lay this baby down, they're in a lot of pain. It's a very painful. These are babies who are just not happy anywhere, anytime. Um, and that can be treated. So sometimes just getting the reflux managed helps everything. Uh, so silent reflux, there's feeding problems, you know, all the tongue tie, lip tie, swallow, you know, if a baby's hungry, they're not going to be doing well. Um, GI issues, food intolerances, allergies, things like that. Um, lately in older, older babies and older children, I've actually seen an, a virtual epidemic of um, low ferritin. So this is something that would actually be helpful for people. I'll, I'll list some of the symptoms. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I can tell you that, that um, I've had a fair number lately of really intractable sleep problems and squirrely sleep problems. This is not just like garden variety. This child doesn't want to go to sleep at bedtime. These are issues where there's a it, bedtime takes an hour and a half every night, no matter what. And then the child is up awake from can be from like for like two or three hours at night, like up. Um, so, so low ferritin, ferritin is the blood, the uh, iron storage capacity of the blood. It's not hemoglobin. It's not regular iron. This is how, how much iron is being stored in the body. Um, when those stores are below a certain level, um, it alters the architecture of the child's sleep in the brain. So it affects the actual structure of sleep, which I think causes these weird wakings. Um, and then in young children, it causes what we think is like restless leg syndrome, except in younger kids, I don't think we really know what it feels like. All we know is these children just cannot seem to get comfortable to sleep. They, they can um, bang their legs. They'll lift their legs up and bang them down. Um, they can act like they don't want pressure on their legs. I had one couple whose baby kept dangling his legs out, out of the crib and another um, that he only wanted mom to hold him upright while his legs dangled down. So it, if it is like restless legs, that means their legs are painful, right? It hurts. So, um, I've had, I can't even tell you how many clients where I'm like, this sounds like low ferritin. You should go get a blood test. And it has come back as diagnosed low, too low levels. The good news is that the um, treatment is just supplementation with iron and, and it takes uh, several weeks to a few months, but people uh, usually start seeing improvement pretty quickly. So these kinds of things come out, come to me as a sleep problem. And I'm able to say, this is not a sleep problem. You could have stood on your head and nothing would have worked for this child. Sleep apnea is another one, uh, obstructed breathing. We see that a lot. So if a child snores, kind of, you know, not, not with a cold or breathes through their mouth, um, if they seem restless when they sleep uh, um, and uh, they can also have like a sweaty head when they sleep, not related to being overheated. 
Um, if you think your kid is snoring a lot, breathing through their mouth, if you've heard them stop breathing, people will say that or, or gasp, um, you should definitely get that, get that checked. Um, but these folks come only come to me because they've tried everything else. And they're like, well, as a coach, you must be able to help me. And I'm like, I know why nothing has worked, right? Because you have these physiological things. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know that was That's long, amazing but... that you can, you can hear their story and then, you know, refer them to someone and they yeah. probably still need help with, with getting to sleep in the meantime, like some kind of plan, but yeah. they can, but they can get support through medical providers as well. Yeah. And I think the way, you know, so for parents that are listening, the way, you know, the way one, one way you can tell is if something is purely behavioral, when a child gets what they are aiming for, they'll go to sleep. So for example, if they're protesting being in the crib and they want you to hold them, if you pick them up and hold them, they fall right asleep. Okay. That's behavior. That's the, something they just like, and they're used to, and that's what they want. Um, if you're in a situation where you have tried many different things and your child is still waking up, um, that's, that to me is a sign that something else is going on. Right. Um, you know, same thing. Uh, I'll have parents say, oh, you know, if it was behavioral, they'll say, well, once I bring him into our bed, he sleeps six hours straight without a problem. Okay. That's behavior. But other parents will say, yeah, I bring him into the bed and he is still tossing and turning and all over the place or very wakeful or whatever. And you're like, well, that's odd because they have what they want. You're right there. So what else is happening? So that's another way that parents aren't empowered to, to think about these problems because we, we blame behavior so heavily. We ignore all the contextual issues. Um, you know, sensory sensitivity is another one. Some of these kids have real sensory processing sensitivities. And so things like, for example, co-sleeping, I, I lived, I think I lived this, um, I'm a light sleeper. My son is a very light sleeper. We were co-sleeping and neither of us was sleeping. And for us, I think we kept waking each other up, you know, because both of our barriers were so, were so low. So that's another time where you have to like, think about sensory processing, right? Is this, is this working for my kid? Do they need some kind of exercises? Do we need to do something else? And then they'll sleep better. Um, but we don't give parents this information. And that, and that bothers me to no end. Um, the exclusive uh, focus on behavior uh, is just a problem. And we don't do it for anything else in the rest of development. It's only sleep. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. Eventually families find their ways, like you said, to OTs or to other specialists. Mm -hmm. Um, could you speak a little bit about the research projects that you've been involved in? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so the, uh, I, I did one a while ago about parents use of, um, sleep advice in books, because I was curious, like what are parents using for sleep and is it working for them? And I asked a lot of other questions. Um, the, the main interesting finding from that is I asked two, two questions in there how worried about you, how worried are you about your child's sleep? And how much are you worried about how you're managing your child's sleep? 
And I found that they were more worried about the job they were doing than they were about the actual sleep, which kind of, to me, pointed on uh, to this like pressure that they feel like I'm doing something wrong. Um, The other uh, projects, um, I've done a critical review of the literature that goes underneath parenting advice on sleep to see if they match, right? Books say this, what does the research say? Um, Spoiler alert, it's not super good. (laughs) So that's coming up. But the work on temperament and sleep, I think is um, really interesting because I was curious how we started out this conversation, right? Like we had these sensitive, intense kids and sleep, sleep in general was bad. Um, and you know, I, I didn't really try a lot of different things, but I suspect if I had, they wouldn't have worked. And so I was really curious, um, if parent, if people with more sensitive, intense kids were experiencing more trouble with sleep, you know, shocker, it was hugely predictive higher levels of temperamental intensity and sensitivity, absolutely significantly predicted, more difficulty with all all factors of sleep, all of it, like naps, going to bed, night waking. Um, These kids had more physical symptoms, right? Eczema, reflux, colic, all all that stuff. Um, Parents had tried a greater number of sleep methods and rated them all as less effective than people with mellower kids. Um, the other really sad thing is that, that um, people with more sensitive, intense kids also were more likely to rate themselves lower on feelings of competence. Yeah, so it's what we suspected, right? They're working harder and feeling worse about it. So that, um, that was, was super nice to see that come out. I mean, it's sad, but it was also, you know, you have these hunches, you think, I think this is maybe how it works. And then when you actually see the numbers and and it proves it, it's, uh, it's really um, encouraging. Mm. Yeah. Well, it'd be fascinating to see some research where it does a comparison of parental, um, the temperance of parents Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. their child. Oh yeah. I would be really interested in that. That would be, wouldn't be, I don't know. I, 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 you'd have to figure out a way of measuring both in ways that was, was equivalent, but um, boy, that would be hundred percent fascinating because I do get parents who are like, yeah, I was this such and such a way when I was a kid. And then you hear them talk about, oh yeah, people always said I was too sensitive. Then you hear the messages that they got about their own temperament um, and how that comes up with their kids. You know, even if they're trying to do it a different way, their own stuff sort of comes up. Um, Or you really have no idea how to manage your kid's intensity because you were never taught how to manage your own, right? So it's a really, that's a, would be a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Well, we have the anecdotal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Let me tell you how that goes. I'll tell you what the data will say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think my, my takeaway for this is that if you have a you know, a child that's more intense, that's a little diver, you know, not like the rest of the peer group. Um, I feel on some level, I feel really badly because I don't think there's enough information and validation for parents. And there's millions, millions of parents with these kinds of kiddos. 
um, who are feeling, I think, a little out in the cold because they just, you know, it's like that one parent in the, in the group, like nobody's talking about my kid and I just feel so, so different from everybody else. Yeah. Do you have any resources on your website or information that you think it would be good to point parents to? Sure. Um, uh, well, my website does have some blog articles um, uh, on temperament. I'm working on a book, but it's that's still um, down the road. Um, so my uh, website is littlelivewires.com. And so there's some stuff on there. Um, as a sleep technique, I really recommend um, Kim West's, she's called the sleep lady. Uh, she calls it the sleep lady shuffle, if you wanted to look that up, but uh, sleeplady.com. Her approach is this middle ground between crying it out and kind of doing nothing. And so it's really doable, really tolerable for parents of even really intense kids. Um, I haven't read this book, but uh, Mary Sheedy Kerchinka, who, uh, you know, started the whole spirited child movement, just put out a book called Raising Your Spirited Baby. So until my book comes out, <laughs> you can read that one. No, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's really helpful. It's very valid. Her stuff is very validating as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely going to check out some of your blog because I, I, every conversation that we've had so far has been fascinating. I learned so much. When oh, we sweet. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. It's a, I feel pretty passionate. I feel pretty passionate because I want, I, I kind of want parents to feel better than I did. So it's, you know, that's how we all come to work like this. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we, we create what we wish existed for, for us. And so in a way it's like coming full circle that you're able to share that with parents with young children and be of service yeah. that way. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel really lucky to have found it for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you.